0: There's no prize for closing an estate in three months. That's, um, in my opinion, just a path to potential liability. Um, Nobody's gonna give you a gold star. The beneficiaries aren't gonna thank you for um, having done things without complete information or for wrapping it up a, a month early.
1: Alvi Agarwal is a partner at Yates, Campbell & Hogue. Prior to joining the firm, she studied at University of Miami School of Law, then the George Washington University Law School, before finally attending Georgetown University. Alvi has been featured as a young lawyer under 40 in the Virginia Business Magazine Legal Elite, and also a rising star, according to Super Lawyers in 2018 and 2019. You are not going to want to miss this episode. A few weeks ago, I had the distinct privilege of sitting down with Alvi and discussing an important topic. We wanted to give a voice to and provide some clarity around the question how does or how might an out-of-state executor most successfully resolve an estate? And so we set out to create a guide, if you will, in this brief episode. I'm very excited for you to listen to it. We discuss a number of important things including why your approach matters, why you should even consider if you should qualify, to be an executor. What are the similarities and the distinctions between being an in-state and out-of-state executor? Bad recommendations to ignore and mistakes to avoid, just to name a few things. Welcome to the all new episode of Probate Navigated. This is the show where I dive deep into probate so that you can be the master of resolving your state so that you have a compelling story to tell. We believe that confusing complexity is the enemy to successfully resolving your state and an educated executor with a proven team is the best way to defeat that enemy in probate. I am your host, Jonathan Smith, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with the one and the only Alvi Agarwal.
2: Well, Alvi, welcome to the Probate Navigated show.
0: It's a pleasure to be here, thank you for having me.
2: You're welcome, thank you for joining us. And why don't we start here, Alvi? It is known that you can talk about difficult things like tax code and Virginia code without putting people to sleep. Tell us more about that.
0: Well, so um, I guess the real story there is that the firm let me write the website.
2: Okay, good. <laughs> so, so then you wrote that. I did. Okay, good. Well, here's what I want all of our listeners to know. Everybody who's listening needs to go over to the website that you created. And what's the name of that website, Alvi?
0: Estateography.com.
2: That's right. Okay, everyone needs to go to that website. It's phenomenal. And we're going to talk about why right now. There is a particular character on the website, Albie. Tell us about Sebastian.
0: So Sebastian is the estateography mascot. He is a sloth. Um, He is sort of our, there's going to be a fable of Sebastian the sloth on the website shortly. It's going to be the story of Sebastian administering an estate and the lessons that we can all learn from him. Um, And being a sloth, of course, he's um, slow and methodical in his movement. And I think that is a, a key lesson for people who are administering estates to keep in mind.
2: That's good. So give our listeners an idea of how they could utilize your website because you do have a very, very interesting and helpful search feature.
0: Yeah, so my website, estateography.com, is sort of designed to be a knowledge base. Um, So it's it's like the help section of some um, of the other websites you may have seen. The purpose of it is just to be a collection of information that um, is easy to navigate, and where you can search everything and hopefully find something that's relevant to whatever it is you're dealing with.
2: Well, you've done a fantastic job. It is really helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. It helps me transition into really the next question I would like to ask you, and it's it's this. Tell us how you decided to really focus on this as a vocation? Why, why be an attorney that specializes in things like estate planning and family law and describing things like we're talking about, but doing so in a way that won't put people to sleep? Well, how, tell us that story, how you came upon that.
0: So when I started law school, I actually thought I wanted to do litigation, specifically like toxic tort or product liability litigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I took an income tax class. Um, and sort of, I hesitate to say fell in love because that's the wrong descriptor for anything tax-related. But I, the, the tax code sort of just appealed to me. It made sense. It was a system in which I um, could learn the rules and navigate it, and hopefully find some loopholes. Um, and that led me to trust and estates because I, I really enjoyed that tax work. But I uh, really wanted to work for individuals and families. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the ones I wanted to help save money from the IRS and that led me to trust in estates.
2: Okay. That's great. And what is it about helping families during this time that was attractive to you? Audie?
0: Um, honestly, it's, it's just a pleasure to work with, um, all of my clients. They are, um, normal people and a lot of times I'm the only lawyer that they have to interact with in their lives and being able to make that a pleasant experience Mm -hmm. um, even under the worst of circumstances is what I take joy in for my job. That's
2: good. Okay, Alvi, if you had to explain probate in three words, what three words would you use?
0: I don't know if I can do three words, but I would say it's a a process, not a race.
2: Good, and you've got Sebastian here that helps us know that that process might be slow. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. Okay. Well, let's do this, Alby. I know that the primary focus of our conversation today, and one that I'm eager to discuss here, is is providing a guide, an information base, to use your words, for out-of-state fiduciaries that are seeking to resolve an estate and fulfill their duties. And so, here's what I'd I'd like to do to get us started off with. With that in play, let's identify and break down the essential components versus the trivial many that an out-of-state fiduciary needs to deal with. What are those most important things that they need to prioritize and focus on from the very beginning?
0: Okay, so I would say for the most part, being an out-of-state fiduciary is very similar to being a fiduciary who's local to wherever the estate is being administered, The one significant difference that comes to mind is that out of state fiduciaries are generally required to provide a surety bond in order to qualify. And a surety bond is basically like an insurance policy that the fiduciary won't run away with the money. It protects the estate. Um, There is a premium, the estate pays it, but the fiduciary does need to be approved. And the approval process involves. A credit check.
2: So it's similar but it's different and the only difference you're saying is that they need to obtain a surety bond.
0: Um, They generally do need to obtain a surety bond. That's the, um, so if we're just looking at the Virginia Code that's the difference between being out of state versus being in state. So even if the will says the executor doesn't have to provide surety, if the executor is out of state with just a couple of exceptions, the probate office is going to require that surety anyway.
2: Okay. Okay. So um, they need to obtain a surety bond. What other things do they need to make sure that they're focusing on anyone who's listening wanting to hear exactly what they should do?
0: So I think being out of state and trying to deal with um, an estate with potentially real estate and tangible personal property and bank statements that may be in the house and all of those things can be daunting and can be difficult. And I think it can be helpful for out-of-state executors to kind of approach the administration of estates in the same way we as attorneys approach the administration, Um, because a lot of times it's not cost-effective for us to be doing things hands-on, and I think out-of-state executors need to have in their minds that they might need to do that. So. At the very beginning, I would say that they should just kind of take a step back and assess the situation carefully. Um, consider whether they really want to qualify, whether there's a need for anybody to qualify, um, whether it makes sense for some people to qualify rather than others, or for everybody to qualify together and serve as personal representative. Um, and the way that that is handled can potentially result in that surety bond being waived or it can enable the personal representatives to file something called a statement in lieu of accounts instead of an accounting, um, which can save a lot of time and effort. Okay. Um, and those are all those are all things that have to be considered before somebody qualifies because once somebody qualifies as the personal representative, then it's it's pretty much too late to to do all of those things. Um,
2: okay, that's good. So, Ali, let me let me press rewind and focus on something you said because I know some of our listeners that are listening to this right now heard you say they need to know and assess whether they need to qualify. Can you speak to that? How how does someone think through whether they need to qualify or not?
0: So, a lot of times when somebody has passed away and their survivors go to the bank or somewhere else and say, I would like access to this account or this storage unit or whatever it may be. The person behind the counter is going to say, you have to go become the executor and bring us that certificate or those letters of administration. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's key for everybody to keep in mind that there are other paths that that person behind the counter might not know about. Sometimes, of course, we do have to qualify as the person representative. Sometimes that is the only way, but those other options should be explored before um, anybody takes that step of becoming the person representative because once you take that step, it's really hard to go back. Right. Um, so some of those other paths can be, well, so these days so many people have beneficiary designations on their assets and to the extent we can, find that information before somebody qualifies as a personal representative, that is very helpful because if all of the assets are passing by beneficiary designation or even by right of survivorship, like between joint owners, um, then probate or opening an estate or qualifying as personal representative might not be necessary at all. Mm -hmm. Another option is something called a small estate affidavit, um, which is one of the few available Um, simplified procedures in Virginia for dealing with uh, the assets of a deceased person. So if the assets in the deceased person's sole name without those survivorship rights and without beneficiary designations are under Mm $50,000, the people under, or the people entitled to the estate, whether that's under the will or whether it's the heirs at law, can sign something called a small estate affidavit um, and designate a person in that affidavit to handle the assets, and that works pretty well.
2: Okay, good, good. So, so far, here's what I hear you saying: all these number one, that there is a difference in out-of-state versus versus in-state fiduciaries. One of which, in general, is obtaining a surety bond. The other thing you're making a point of which I think is a really good one is to make sure that they look at this reality through the correct approach so you've identified whether or not they need to qualify you're also looking at the path that they might need to take so that it's most efficient and most effective is there anything else that an out-of-state fiduciary needs to take into consideration as they as they seek to do what they're doing
0: Yeah, definitely. So becoming a personal representative of an estate requires a trip to the courthouse in the county where the estate is being administered. So the county generally where the decedent lived at the time of their death. Um, That has to be in person. And a lot of times, well, depending on the county, it can take several weeks to get that appointment. So I think it's really helpful, particularly for out-of-state executors, but even for in-state executors to plan ahead um, when scheduling that appointment and um, what i would suggest is go ahead and call that courthouse talk to the people in their probate division um, and see when an appointment might be available before scheduling any travel plans and i would say also leave some time after that appointment when you're still in town and may be able to go take a look at that tangible personal property in the house or look through the papers and also um, obtain a tax identification number for the estate and take that and the certificate from the courthouse to the bank and open that bank account. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay, good. I think really. Good. Okay. Anything else, Ollie?
0: I think I, I briefly mentioned previously that for out-of-state executors, sometimes it's helpful for them to approach the process of administering a state in the same way that we as lawyers would. And what I mean by that is, so some of the first things we will do when we're in the position of administering a state is try to get as much information as we can, as easily as we can. So rather than going to the decedent's house and looking through boxes and boxes of paper, we are going to take our certificate of qualification and request um, wage and income transcripts from the IRS. So we submit a form to the IRS and they send us back a listing of all of the um, interest, dividend, and other income information that has been reported to them, which makes it a lot easier for us to identify the decedent's assets. Okay. Another thing we do is request credit reports from the credit reporting agencies. So like TransUnion, Equifax, Experian, we just send them a letter with the certificate of qualification, death certificate, and we request a credit report. And it takes them a while to respond, but it takes very little of our time. It's easy to do um, from a distance. Nobody's going to the house, looking through anything again. Um, And we get information back. We find out, oh, there are these debts. And sometimes they also lead us to assets. Like we see a mortgage on the credit report, we know there's probably some real estate somewhere. Um, I know it can be frustrating for fiduciaries to use letters, to write these letters, send them out, and then just wait weeks for a response. But um, I would say it, I mean, it works well, it's um, efficient, and I think it going about it that way and just accepting that it's going to take some time will take away a lot of the stress that I think out-of-state fiduciaries feel in trying to deal with the initial stages of the estate administration.
2: That's good, Olvi. Good. Okay. Olvi, let's let's transition to this question. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see out-of-state executives make that our listeners right now could avoid? with a little forewarning here from you.
0: Um, I would say the mistakes I see from out-of-state executors are for the most part the same ones that I see from in-state executors.
2: Okay, and I and I what think would those some be? Some of
0: those, yeah, so I think one of the big ones is that when you're administering a state and you're serving as personal representative, you can't really assume that things work the same way for a personal representative as they would for an individual. So for example, we've all, or most of us have invested assets or sold a house, but the rules for estates are just so different that um, you have to consider additional things when you're doing those things on behalf of an estate. So in, for example, the sale of real estate, it's typical, at least in Virginia, to use the standard real estate contracts that the realtor gives you. But those can present problems for a personal representative. Same goes for um, investing, for example. In our everyday lives when we're investing, individuals often tend to be a little bit aggressive. For an estate, that's, that's potential liability. It's not um, I guess the considerations aren't aren't necessarily the same. So just because we know how to do something doesn't mean we know how to do something for an estate, if that makes right. sense.
2: It does. Um, okay, good. So don't assume that things work the same way as they would, say, for a, an individual decision. You're using the example of a typical real estate transaction. Contract can present problems, normal ones versus a property that's, that's in probate. What are some other mistakes?
0: I would say, and I hate to harp on timing, but I I think it's one of the most (laughs) significant um, issues. It's very tricky to get the timing of an estate administration right. A lot of times, especially in the early stages of the process, people are very eager to get things moving and um, wrap up the estate quickly. And in general, my advice there is just kind of slow down. Mm because there are some actions that you have to take as a personal representative, like paying debts and distributing to beneficiaries. And if you do those things wrong, you are potentially liable. Um, and there's kind of, it's, it's difficult to go back once, once the money's gone. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's very important to assess carefully and consult with your lawyer and make sure you have complete information before you take those irrevocable steps.
2: That's good. So take care to ensure that you don't do anything that uh, increases any personal liability. Is there anything else that our listeners should know?
0: Uh, in general, the sort of tips I give every fiduciary, um, keep every scrap of paper, every every receipt, every canceled check, every notation that you make about a deposit. Um, you're gonna need all of those documents when you are preparing your filings for the commissioner of accounts. Um, I would, I from in most cases it goes without saying, but the estate's money is not um, the personal representative's money. Those mm-hmm. so estate funds can't be used for personal expenses. They shouldn't go into personal accounts, and also personal funds shouldn't go into the estate account.
2: Right. Um, you want to avoid commingling.
0: Correct. Exactly.
2: Okay, we had Mindy Hetzel on the show a couple of weeks back, and she spoke on that, and she said just being the commissioner of accounts and um, that was one of the biggest mistakes that she sees over and over again is the commingling of accounts.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a problem when it happens. Hopefully it's not happening all that often.
2: <laughs> good, um,
0: good. I would say another thing we see a lot of times is, The personal representative was close to the decedent and knows what the decedent wanted. And a lot of times, or at least sometimes, that's not, it doesn't match up exactly with what the will might say or how the assets are being distributed under Virginia law. Um, And it's very hard to overcome that um, sense of of knowing what the decedent wanted and really wanting to implement those wishes. Um, When you're the person representative of an estate, you have to do what the will or what the law say, even when you know that isn't the most desirable result. Um, A lot of times we see personal representatives wanting to contribute money to the decedent's church or favorite charity because they knew that that's what that person would have wanted. But if the will doesn't say to do that, then the person representative can potentially be liable for having done that. So it's it's really important to follow the will and follow the
2: law. That's good. That's good. What about some, what about bad recommendations? What have you heard? What consistently do you might maybe hear? whether that's through well-meaning friends and family or from other individuals that might be giving bad recommendations to clients that you've had the privilege to serve or even clients that you've heard of. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Um, I would say the bad recommendation that I hear most often is just go qualify as the personal representative. Um, and I, I mentioned that before, that it's it's easy to get into that. It's hard to get out. It's important to consider carefully before you go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I would say it's not so much bad advice that I see as a lack of advice. Um, I think a lot of times, again, people kind of assume that it's it's a lot like handling their own affairs. And it really, it just isn't. There are more requirements. There are fiduciary duties. it's I, there are just considerations that aren't necessarily intuitive that um, people need to kind of do their homework on and get help. Right,
2: right. And it seems as though that's quite difficult. And My assumption is, too, is that might be one of the main reasons why you created the stadiography, correct?
0: It is. I, I would like to see that information be more easily available yeah. and accessible.
2: That's right. And in one location, I, that's one of the the big upsides I think for everyone listening. With your website, is that instead of it being in all these different places, you've got a search engine there that they can put in a particular question and find content on. I think it's just fantastic. It simplifies, and something that can be quite complex. That's the goal. Okay, so, well, it's you're accomplishing all these. Well, well done. Okay, so I want to ask two more questions. One, we ask every guest who's on the show, is if if, hypothetically you could connect with every first-time executor resolving an estate, what one piece of advice would you give them, and why?
0: I think think you already know what I'm going to say. Um, And it's going to be don't rush into things. Um, I'd say there's no prize for closing an estate in three months. That's Um, in my opinion, just a path to potential liability. Um, Nobody's going to give you a gold star. The beneficiaries aren't going to thank you for um, having done things without complete information or Mm -hmm. for wrapping it up a a month early.
2: Good. And for some listeners that may be listening to this important conversation and who feel that they need to be somewhat urgent or they're afraid that there is a deadline that maybe they don't know about. Can you speak to that? Is there a deadline or is there a time frame that they should actually get this done? And, and why would that be important?
0: So there are a lot of deadlines involved in the state administration. And that is a great question. So when you qualify um, as the personal representative at the, probate office, they generally give you um, a booklet or some information about what those deadlines are. And I would say it's really important to review that carefully and understand your deadlines. You uh, generally have one deadline 30 days after you qualify, a couple more four months after you qualify, Mm -hmm.
2: um,
0: and a couple of more 16 months after you qualify. And if the estate is um, very... Um, valuable, then you might also have an estate tax return due nine months from the date of death. So there there are a lot of deadlines there. Um, Again, it's really important to be aware of them, make sure you stay ahead of them. But there isn't a, there's no time within which a personal representative is required to complete the administration. Um, Of course, no one should let it drag on unnecessarily long because that's just going to run up the fees. Um, but I would say generally, uh, approximately a year is typical.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Good. And how could our listeners connect with you if they wanted to, if they wanted to talk with you about Um, possibly partnering together to help them resolve their estate or if they have other questions, what's the best way for them to connect with you?
0: Um, The best way to connect with me is generally by email and I can be reached at alvi at ychlaw.com.
2: Okay, great. And what's the web address for stadiography? We'll also put it in the show notes, but for anyone who doesn't want to wait for the show notes, what, what is it?
0: It's um, estateography.com. That's E-S-T-A-T-E-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y.com.
2: Outstanding. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for stopping by and for speaking to this important question. We are very grateful, and I am confident that many people are going to benefit from the wisdom that you shared. So thank you.
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alvi. And if you did, folks, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes if you've derived any value whatsoever from this podcast. You can also connect with me on Twitter at I am Jonathan SM. Also be the first to listen to future episodes and previous episodes by simply subscribing to the show. All of our episodes can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and a number of other podcast platforms. Just by way of reminder, you can find links to everything discussed in the show on the show notes at medium.com backslash at probate journal. And until next time, and as always, thanks for listening. Have a great week.